Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here at Broadley Vineyards in Monroe with Morgan and Jessica Broadley. It's February 8th, 2023. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Uh, first question to get things started, and a very easy question, of course, is why wine? Why wine? Um, I was just kind of grew up in it, frankly. You know, um, as a child working in the vineyard, um, and then... Uh, Obviously, becoming older, and then finally actually wanting to drink wine, you know. And then once you kind of start drinking wine, and you realize you have access to all this, I'm into wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I married into it. I <laughs> I was going to be an environmental attorney. I had I this was not part of my plan at all, um, but. Um, I changed my path and started working with the family business and loved it. And so for me, it was more business oriented than, than wine. Um, and I found a spot here uh, in between having kids and raising kids and, and it just, yeah, it just, we fell into it and I fell in love with wine. I mean, my first really good, uh, it was a Burgundy, was uh, at his parents' house when we first met. It was an grow. I'll never forget that. And I realized, wow, this can be really good. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I just fell in love with wine and, and just the whole process. We live on the vineyard and every, you know, watching the seasons change. I mean, being a part of the vineyard is a huge, it's a huge part of our life. And so it's, I guess it's not just about wine for us. It's, it's about the farm too, really. Yeah. Also, things I'm going to come back to on that in a second, but Morgan, I'm curious to talk. Obviously, we just we just spoke with your parents, and they, yeah. they talked about you growing up and happily doing chores in the vineyard, <laughs> very happily. Tell me about that. Obviously, growing up in it, you're not really necessarily aware that it's that it's new or unique or different than anybody else's life. Yeah. But what was it like for you, and uh, at what point in the process did it become something you thought you might want to do? Um, you know. Um, when my pl- parents planted the vineyard, um, I spent the first few summers hand watering all the plants with the garden hose. Uh, they had several spigots, like spaced out of every 50 feet or 25 yards or something. And uh, I would stand out there all day in the heat and just water and water and water. And I got paid $2 an hour. I uh, kept it, the deal was I got to keep a dollar, and the other dollar went to my bank account. So. Uh, I'd always have enough money on, like, say, Friday night to be Miami Vice, and I'd get Domino's pizza. And, uh, <laughs> and though by the time I was 16, I bought my own car. I was going to say, he was only 11. We yeah. should clarify. <laughs> so I was 11 years old. So, uh, um, so, you know, I was not, I think I was kind of uh, along for working when I was preteen, definitely. I did not mind working. Um, they may have a different version of this, but <laughs> but I think once I became a teenager, especially 15, 16, beyond, um, you know, you don't really want to go work with your parents on the weekend, and maybe you had too much fun the night before, um, or something like that, and you know, uh, you didn't want to be out in a vineyard. And, and frankly, growing up, at least for me at that time in Eugene, 
Um, there was nobody else that had a winery. There was, I mean, um, I think there was Alpine Vineyards and Thais. There was really nothing, maybe Henman, I guess, at the time in Eugene. So there's really nothing in Eugene. So like at my high school, when I, you know, what do your parents do or whatever, it's like, oh, I have a winery, they have a winery vineyard. It's just like, you're a little, you're weird. What's that? You know, everybody's parents were either like, you know, lawyers or doctors or insurance people or, you know, they had those basic jobs that were easy to explain. And, uh, and then on top of that, they also had their book distribution company, which was even more difficult to explain. So, uh, but that being said, uh, several of my friends uh, worked with me on the vineyard. Um, uh, my best friend growing up, Andy Cotting, and then a really another one of my good friends, Aaron Madrin, and we would go out there every weekend and, you know, do the job. So basically, Broadly Vineyards in the early days was uh, powered by teenage boys <laughs> didn't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I didn't get into wine until much later. Um, you know, I think, uh, um, you know, my parents would always be like, you got to try this wine, you got to try this wine. And, you know, I'd try it, like, oh, that's nasty. But it was, I'm sure it was, there were amazing wines. And um, so for me, like, I remember, like, buying my first bottle of wine was like your Kendall Jackson Chardonnay for a date and yeah. thinking that was pretty damn good. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, not really getting into wine until I was 24-ish. Mm -hmm. And even then, probably, you know, I think when we first started living together and stuff, we didn't really drink wine all the time. No. You know, we would drink either your basic, like, beer soda pop, basically, but... Um, yeah, you know, I think we we really didn't really dive into wine until probably our late thirties, like really. Yeah. Mid late thirties. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. Like where you're actually really thinking about. I mean, not to say I didn't work here, but I don't think I had really both feet in until probably my mid thirties. So Jessica, tell us about your sort of upbringing and in, in life life before wine. Uh, where, where were you born and raised, and, and oh, how did yeah. you find your way here? Yeah, um, I was born and raised in Northern Nevada, Reno area. Um, spent most of my free time in Lake Tahoe, and um, I was an avid skier, ski racer. Um, that was my whole life, really, was skiing and then being at the lake in the summer. Um, I grew up with horses when I was younger, um, and so very different lifestyle than now. But um, yeah, so I went to Portland State University. I moved up here to go there. And I, my intention was to go to Lewis and Clark mm -hmm. at the time law school. They had a really good environmental law program. And um, I soon found out that I was a little bit before my time because <laughs> you couldn't really make a living doing that unless you worked for the enemy at the time. We all kind of know who the enemy is. And um, anyway, and uh, living at home and paying off my debt wasn't really something I wanted to do. So I started, when I met him, I was kind of in a place where I was contemplating what to do. And um, that's when I, we moved in together in Eugene, and I was going to go to U of O. I was going to get my master's in business. And um, his dad offered me a job to work um, with the book distribution company. He said that he had a um, he had a really big project he needed some help with. So um, I thought, great, I'll work with you and um, go to school. It'll be easy. And then um, I just loved it. We worked on the vineyard together. We worked in the barrel room together. I worked with the, with the book company, you know, and 
and um, I soon learned that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and why would I spend money on a grad program when I could learn it here? So, um, and Craig and Claudia were always so giving and information and helping and if we had ideas and, you know, helping us explore that and, and with our creativity of, you know, how to change the winery and how to grow the winery. And, and in the book business at the time, we were kind of contemplating, should we expand the book distribution company or the winery? So we kind of went back and forth on that for a little while. Um, so yeah, and that's and then I, I landed here with uh, using IT experience that I had building our first website. <laughs> it was pretty archaic <laughs> with our friend uh, Cole Dana Hauer. Yeah, he helped me with that. Um, he actually did a lot of the original writing on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just you know we found our niche. I guess um, we started doing our own distribution. We had to in uh, 2001. We did our own distribution in Oregon together, yeah. um, and we started decide. We decided that okay, we were going to definitely expand the business. We were going to get rid of the book company, uh, distribution company, and expand the winery. And that's when we realized we couldn't really expand with our 33 acres. We needed to buy fruit or create relationships in the in the industry. And so we started. Um, we had a good friend, um, Jay McDonald, he's EIO, and um, we spent a lot of time in Carleton and getting to know other people in the industry that were our age. Um, the Bergstroms were a little bit younger, but um, they were they were a couple, the Lemelsons. Um, trying to think who else we, and we started doing these deals where we would trade fruit. Mm -hmm. So we made a Bergstrom Broadly, they made a Broadly Bergstrom, we did that with Lemelson. I can't remember who else we did that with, do you remember? Uh, trading fruit, that was about it. Was that about it yeah. for trading fruit? Yeah. And, um, and then just start expanding our brand, you know, and, and making single vineyards with other people's uh, grapes and then buying more fruit. And I think our idea for our Willamette Valley um, Pinot Noir came from a visit at a wine shop. They were like, why aren't you, why do you guys have a lower end no, wine? Or well, I, or, I, well you I mean, that? my dad had always kind of believed that you should have different levels of labels. Um, so we started making the Willamette Valley, I think 98 was the first year we made it. Um, and then, but really all it really was was kind of pressed barrels and a few local vineyards around here. Um, and then in about um, 04, I believe, um, we started buying more fruit up north for that one. And that definitely, uh, like Jessica was saying, prior to that, I mean, like we met the Bergstroms before they were first vintage. Jay brought them down. Um, we exchanged grapes with them for several years. Um, same thing with Lemelson. We sold grapes to uh, Gary Andrus um, when he had his Gypsy Dancer label. <clears throat> um, so that we did kind of spend a lot more time up north. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have really good friendships from it to this day. So I want to back up one second before I come back here. Morgan, I know you, you mentioned it took a while to, to, to get into wine and to decide this was the business you're going to make. Yeah. So tell me about uh, before that. What else What else were you doing before uh, coming back to the family business? Yeah, so I was uh, I was not the best child. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was not good at school. Uh, uh, I moved down to uh, Manhattan Beach, or actually, I'm sorry, my grandparents had a place in San Juan Capistrano, 
and I worked for them. Uh, they have a, uh, or they had a pH electrode manufacturing company um, in Irvine, California. And um, so I worked there uh, for a couple of years, lived in Manhattan Beach for a couple of years, grew up, I think, a little bit, not completely, but a little bit, and, uh, and then came back to Oregon. I, I, I think I grew tired of working there. Um, and then um, I applied to a couple jobs in Napa, like working at Buena Vista, um, some other places. And then uh, um, I had an interview at Buena Vista. And then I think there was a conversation, I think, with my parents, which is, if you're going to do that, why don't you just come home and work? And I did. So I was here for um, the 94 vintage, which really put us on the map. Um, so I was kind of, I would say my first vintage is somebody that had more interest in what we were doing than just working for my parents. And how did the two of you meet? Oh, it's such a romantic story. <laughs> we met in a bar. We met in a bar. <laughs> we we met on the, in the Belmont dive the bar. Belmont dive bar. They were, the tree frogs were playing that night. I was with my friends, and uh, they all lived in Portland, and I had just moved back from Manhattan Beach, and uh, we decided to go out. One of them wanted to listen to the tree frogs. I couldn't even tell you what they sound like. Um, <laughs> kind of like a Grateful Dead yeah, kind of thing. God only knows. Thing. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's where I met Jessica. Yeah, I went out with my girlfriend, my roommate, and I had sworn off men that day. I said, I never ever want to date again. I'm done. Let's go dance with the tree frogs. And, um, and then I met him that night. So and she was, of course, a little mad at me. <laughs> but um, yeah, we just started talking and didn't we'd stop talking. We, I don't know, hours and hours that mm -hmm. night. And then you called me the next day. You didn't actually do the three-day wait, which was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And that was in '94. Yep. That's awesome. I love that. So, so tell me about, you mentioned kind of starting to take things more seriously, the 94 vintage, and then, so tell me about getting to know the family business and, and through into the kind of the, the transition into, into sort of taking a, a more a more leadership role. How did that next sort of decade go? What, what, what were you learning and what were you seeing in the business and in the organ well, industry? Well, I, I mean, at least working with my parents and, um, you know, there's, there's positive and negatives working with your family, no doubt. And um, uh, my parents, um, you know, they're very giving in what they, they've allowed us to do in this business. Um, maybe to sometimes to a fault where I have like an idea and I'm like, I'm doing this and my dad doesn't really say anything. And then afterwards he's like, yeah, you know, probably not the best idea. And I'm like, yeah, why do you say something? But. Uh, but um, you know, he's, he, they're both really good at kind of allowing these paths to go. And, but at the same time, especially, you know, the, the thing with a family business is you're not just working here together. It's constant. Like yeah. you go to a family dinner and you're having just a relaxing dinner and it's can, it doesn't so much anymore, but it used to always segue to work. Mm -hmm. and, or it could, I should say. It didn't always, but it could. And um, and when things are good, it doesn't really happen that much. But when things are not good with business, you hear more about it, mm -hmm. and maybe rightfully so. So, you know, it's definitely a, a different dynamic. Um, you know, it's uh, 
And there's not too many, you know, second generation or third generation people in the industry. So, you know, it's like I've had conversations with Jason Lett, and it's a similar thread. I mean, there definitely is a, and I think a father-son strain to somewhat um, that, that can be. Um, and, but, you know, I think my dad's really good at, at kind of giving freedom. Um, he does love to put his two cents in about things, which is totally fine. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, there's, you know, positives, more positive than negative, in my opinion. I mean, we're, I, I, I think we're lucky to have the dynamic we have. Um, you know, it's like I go over to my parents' house every day, even to this day, and have coffee in the morning. Yeah, and we, just, we all live on the vineyard. And just, you know, bullshit, so we, <laughs> bullshit for an hour. <laughs> we live and, next door. You know, and maybe some of it is work. Maybe sometimes there's no work. And we just talk about, you know, things on the news or sports or whatever. So, um, and, and that's, I think, that's, that's really nice. I enjoy that part of it quite a bit. I feel very lucky to have that. And Jessica, you mentioned kind of sort of falling into a business you weren't expecting to fall into. Tell me about, from your perspective, starting to understand the wine and the wine business and, and the wine industry and what you found sort of interesting or engaging about it. Um, well, several things. I think um, the creative side is really interesting to me. Um, Morgan's definitely, Anna's dad was definitely more of a winemaker that was more of a on the artistic side or, or more of like really how I, I feel about this vintage, if you will, um, putting more your personality into the vintage rather than having, you know, a script or a, like a little more chemistry to it, um, which I always found really interesting um, and really cool, you know, really cool that that's how they were able to express themselves. Um, and then in the vineyard, um, the vineyard is just, when you live on a, a working farm, you know, you see every part of, every season, especially in Oregon, change and evolve. And it's just, um, it's just a really amazing place to live. You feel the energy literally in the vineyard. Like one of our favorite times of year is right after harvest and all, when all of the leaves turn golden and and then they drop, you know? And it's just like, you just, it's like they just are resting now. And you can feel that energy. And you can feel it also before harvest, like, and I'm sure it's us too, we're getting, we get, we're, we start getting really excited, harvest is coming, and there's all this, you know, energy because you're nervous, like what's gonna happen, you know, this year, but, um, the, you can tell the vines are working so hard and they're getting stressed. You know, you can see that in the leaves. You can see that in the, you know, how, when it starts getting drier. And, and, um, and then you get to pull the, the fruit in and then they, they relax. And yeah, and so um, I love that. I love being part. I think if we didn't live on the vineyard and didn't have our own vineyard, I think it would be a really different experience for me. Yeah, I mean, I, living on a vineyard for me is, is uh, it can be nice. It can also be like <laughs> sitting there drinking my coffee and looking out the window like that shit needs to get done, needs yeah. to get done now, yeah. <laughs> and it's not getting done. Or uh, like in 07 when it was harvest and it was raining every damn day and just laying in bed at night, just like, oh, my God, it's raining again, yeah. and it's pouring outside. And uh, so there, I do love living on the vineyard. It's great. And then I can't imagine having to 
live in a neighborhood, frankly, at this point. Um, but um, it, it's you know it's your work. You're surrounded by your work 24/7, basically, yeah. um, which you know couldn't could be worse. You know, oh yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's I will say, I think to me, Jessica, one of the things, and she talks about it, she's not saying it, but she loves this, the tasting room. Yeah, Jessica loves dealing with people. Yeah, this is a new. Yeah. Um, well, newer thing that that I started with you. Uh, so for years, we really focused on distribution. And then um, we had a mailing list. And um, we were open by appointment, which was pretty rare. We'd actually take an appointment. And then we had our two big open houses in the fall and the spring every year. Um, and we were raising kids on the weekend. So, you know, back to horses. My kids did horses. And we did soccer. And we did swimming. You know, we did it like everybody does. And so the idea of being open on the weekends just wasn't something I was willing to, I wasn't willing to give that up with time with my kids. So um, when the opportunity came up, when the kids were, really didn't care if I was around, <laughs> they're old enough, <laughs> just about out the door. Um, actually, what happened was we were starting to talk about being open more because the brewery down the street was open. And we had a guy working for us that limbed up the trees we used to actually just use this path over here for washing barrels. Um, and it was so beautiful. You know, something like you just take it for granted. We're on the river, and we didn't really even, I don't know, notice it. And when we could see the river, and all of a sudden we were like, wait a minute. This is actually a really cool space that we could use for tasting. And I think it was you that came up with that idea, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um I was actually it, a little it's, reluctant. It's, it's always been there. We never utilized it. So we, yeah. we just bought a few tables, like three, and yeah. just like threw them outside. Yeah, he was like, let's be open on the and weekend. And then we opened the garage door and just had one of these tables and just kind of stood there. And you know, when yeah. you're not open ever, like I think my parents used to be open on the weekends, and I could be wrong, but I think it was about 93 was the last year we were open open. Um, well, there was a gal that ran. Oh yeah, the we were we were briefly open during um, the little housing crisis when nobody was buying wine. Oh eight, oh nine. We we did have someone running the tasting room, and it was actually pretty successful, to be honest. And that was real funky. That was like we just put a circle of barrels up in the front of the building there, <laughs> and uh, you know, no signage, nothing, just no like advertising, no just like we're open kind of thing. And so that we did that, but it, we but we weren't running it, and um, you know it was hard. You know, once we kind of got through that, then everything was the economy was rolling, so it was just like, eh, we don't want to do that. But here, since we hadn't really been open, you know, you, you have entire weekends you'd just be sitting there. We'd be outside watching baseball on a laptop. Yeah. Uh, oh, someone's pulling on, you know, grab a laptop and go inside. Yeah. Well, because we trained all of our customers yeah. that we were always closed. We were always you closed. You know, people drive by all the time and we were never open. And slowly, actually a good friend of mine that's a really smart businesswoman, she said, you know, you have all these ants going on this freeway. You need something to attract them. So put a balloon out or something to, like, yeah. catch their eye because it's not, so they're not just driving by again. And so I literally put out some balloons on our fence. And all of a sudden, I had people coming in going, I've always wanted to stop here. Like, yeah, or I've always wondered what? what's in this building. Yeah, and so yeah. and it worked. And so, um, yeah, so we went from three tables to, I don't know, five tables outside and more. I, every year I bought a couple more umbrellas. Oh, we're super busy here. And now. then now the patio is yeah. it's really rocking. And so we then we put up the fencing and then we built 
this? Well, this was part of the barrel room. This was during COVID. Yeah, and um, so we were just open in the summer, so this was, we just finished our fourth summer, and um, these windows are original part of the building, but they were, they were boarded up because this was part of the barrel room. And so we put this door in and open up the windows, and we put this plexiglass in so people can kind of feel a part of the barrel room too. So we opened last winter for the first time, um, and it was steady all winter long. It was great. And what I, I do love, I love being able to talk with our customers because we've had, for years, we did these open houses, and because we were only open twice a year, it was crazy. Oh, they'd be, it'd be insane. I mean, we had to have so many people helping us work, and I was always the one doing cashier, and you're, you don't have time to really engage, and, and you want to, and I don't, you know, they didn't know us at all. And so um, I, love, I love being able to just have some time and talk to them and, and hear, you know, they tell you, obviously, they're your customers, how much they love your wine and, and or what it, you know, oh, I just had this bottle. Or what's and, going on in their lives. Yeah, 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 we get to know them. It's almost like a, that bar kind of It is, it is. Yeah. And um, we've created some really, really great friendships from that. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that I did, I guess this is kind of on the same note. So during, speaking of COVID, so during COVID, uh, when, you know, we, we had already established the patio, thank God. So we'd already kind of trained people to come here to get wine. And of course, everything was shut down. So we started doing curbside um, pickup, which was great, saved us. But um, the one thing I did was on the news in the morning, and Good Morning America or something, the Shark Tank people, they would come on and help you know, entrepreneurs or small businesses, here's a tip of what you can do. And one of the things they said is you have to stay connected with your customer base. Don't go away. So I was always against doing you know, weekly newsletters or you know, too much emails. I just didn't like harassing people. So I started doing that once a week and doing a, just a random newsletter. And it could be about what's happening in the vineyard. It could be about what we're doing. I mean, it was pretty basic at the beginning. Some special we were doing. Um, and, and people started, they loved it. And then when we were open again, they would come in and say, oh my god, I look forward to the newsletter every week. And I'm like, really? <laughs> of course, then there's a few people that would send me my, my typo corrections. <laughs> it's like, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for reading so closely. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what I say. Thank you. Obviously, you're reading. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not the best writer, but oh well. <laughs> so I want to back up for a second here to sort of, uh, as you were having sort of more say in the business and starting to take over as, as winemaker and as decision maker, what were the biggest changes that the, the, the business underwent and that the wines underwent? What did you, what did you bring well, to the table? I think, um, you know, Jessica kind of touched on this, relationships with new vineyards up north. In 04, uh, I started buying fruit from Shea. Um, and I worked with Shea until 2016. Mm -hmm. um, we had a long-term contract with Zenith. We actually, he, uh, Tim Ramey, the owner, uh, we kind of had an agreement. He custom planted a couple acres for us. Um, you know, those are things. Uh, 07, um, the Etzel boys were going to college at Oregon State, and they made their first coattails wine here at the winery. Um, so there's a group of them, the six bandits. It was a bunch of college kids. They were great. Really, there were only three bandits that knew what they were doing. Um, <laughs> well, well, there was, no, there was Jared, Mikey, and, and Brian, <laughs> who was at Alexana, uh, were all 
here. Yeah. You know, so they made their first wine together. Um, so you know, that's opened the door to, um, I think, you know, trying to add to. So you know, we have these single vineyards by having a shea or something like that. It's a very different kind of pinot than what we have. So it's just kind of opening a broader um, selection of wines, frankly, for people to choose from. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that worked out really well, frankly. All those, all those, uh, those have, have done real well. Um, we still have a really great relationship. It's like Mikey. That's why I bought some fruit from him this last year. Um, so we still have, we still have those connections. Um, well, we've made a lot of good friends. Jim Prosser. Um, we talked about uh, Grant and Renee. Um, they're good friends of ours. Um, so definitely, that is what is. I, I think you know my parents. Um, they. First of all, they had a full-time job, and then this was their second job. So they didn't have necessarily that extra time to branch out right. and, 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 frankly, network with other people. That being said, we haven't done that as much either these days, to be honest. Yeah, we did I mean, that when the kids, well, before kids. And we rarely go up to the northern part of the valley. Yeah. You know, it's just, I guess when I have my own free time, the last thing I want to do is go see other wineries. <laughs> But I like to go because then I want to see what people are doing. Well, sure. You but, know? You know, it's like, I don't know. To me, it's, I mean, I'd rather see people I like at yeah. this point than, yeah. than kind of snoop around. Oh, people, absolutely. Other people's yeah. liners. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about learning to make wine? What was that process like for you? So for me, um, one of the funny things I've, uh, I'm, I've actually never met her, but I'm, of course, Facebook friends with her, <laughs> is uh, Morgan Clendenin, Jim Clendenin's uh, daughter. And she dubbed herself a uh, homemade winemaker. And I homeschool. would homeschool. Homeschool. Yeah, homeschool, yeah, homeschool winemaker. winemaker. I definitely fall in that category. I do not have any chemistry background. Um, you know, I don't know how to use a lot of machines that people would know how to use because I haven't had access to them before. I've never worked anywhere else but here as far as making wine. And that definitely is a, is a detriment in a lot of ways. Um, it's, I think at this point, it's kind of like, for me, um, I know a style that I like in the wines I make, and I know how to Hopefully, well, I should say this. I hopefully know how to get to that style, um, and uh, you know sometimes there's misses, no doubt. I'm not going to say every wine I make. I'm like, wow, that's amazing, um, but I feel like more often than not, I'm pretty happy with the results that I have. Um, you know, it's like uh, we've been kind of fumbling around with Chardonnay the last couple of years down here, um, but I want to say like my friend Jay McDonald. Uh, he really kind of steered me into a style of making Chardonnay, and I'm rolling out the first one, and I feel like it's the best Chardonnay I've made. Maybe the best one we've made at Broadly Vineyards. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it, because we're so small, when we make wine, we have to pretty much use all the wine. <laughs> There's not a lot of wiggle room here, and uh, you know, it's what keeps lights on, so we have to make it work. Yeah, but Morgan's very humble because he, you're really good at rolling with the punches at harvest. You know, things change on a dime. I mean, 2020s a year, seven. Well, a it, year. but you know, part of that is is just doing it for so long that when something goes sideways, we've chances are, except for 2020, I've never seen that, and I hope to not see that again. But 
I've seen it before. There's almost nothing I haven't seen basically at this point. Um, so, you know, for a newer person from winery or someone from California that's recently just come up here, yeah, for them it's puts them on their heels maybe and they're a little more panicked. Um, but they figure it out too eventually, as we all yeah. do. But and yeah. I think because we are so, we're kind of remote compared to a lot of the wineries in the, in the state that, um, we don't if we if we're we don't get uh, caught up in people getting put back on their heels. If, if you know, I don't know how, a better way to say that, but sometimes there's a panic that happens, and we can kind of see it from a distance, but we're not a part of that. So we still just kind of stay our course and well, do our and, thing. And we and we've had the we have had harvests. I remember clearly in '96, um, we were, had like um, pre-internet. We had a, a weather service that would fax you. Uh, what was gonna happen in the weather, and uh, the grapes were not ready to pick, and we got the, you know, the biggest storm in the world's coming routine, and uh, so we did panic, and we picked some of the grapes, and frankly, the 96s were not great. They were pretty green immediately upon release, um, and I think that actually was definitely a launching to the, like Jessica saying, non-panicking, hopefully, and trying to keep a cool level head at harvest. Uh, you know, and that's hard. Harvest, harvest is a lot of energy and everyone's excited. I'm excited, my mom's excited, my dad's excited, Jessica's excited, everybody is pumped to do it. And, um, but you're trying to keep kind of, at least myself, I'm trying to keep kind of a, an, and everyone's tired. Right, everyone starts out harvest, and by the you know end of at least, I always feel like once the grapes are in the building, it's like a huge weight off. Oh, but yeah. during that period of bringing in at least our own vineyard, it's very stressful and everyone's tired, so everybody can get a little snippy at the end of the day or whatever, yeah. um, if certain things aren't working right. But um, yeah, I think to me it's just um, I, what I see in this industry, um, and I think. It's been like this for a while, which is if a winery has success, then everybody starts chasing that direction. I try not to do that. I try my best not to do that. I can appreciate those wines, no doubt, but uh, I feel like this is what I'm doing and I try to stay in my lane, basically. Not to say that I haven't done that kind of stuff and it didn't work out well when I did it. <laughs> but, you know, to me, uh, but that is, you know, one of those things you see in this industry. If everybody's planning a certain clone or everybody's using this kind of barrel or blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's endless and everybody jumps off that cliff immediately, basically. So as the, as the business has grown, Tell me about being here in Monroe as opposed to being in the northern part of the valley. What are the advantages to being a little off the beaten path, and what are you? What, what, what does it feel like? How does it feel like it holds you back? To me, um, the advantages are kind of like I said. You're a little more focused as what you're doing, um, as far as winemaking. Not being in the northern valley, the disadvantages. I mean, first of all, down here there's only a handful of wineries. So when we're open or doing open house, you know, the reality is I remember Tony Reinders was kind of going, hey, how do you guys do it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey, we've got Eugene, Corvallis, and throwing Springfield and Salem, got almost a half a million people at this end of the valley and there's not a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Up north, uh, I don't know what there is these days, 600 wineries or something. 
And yeah, you have Portland there, but there's still just, there's so many people up there and a lot, and good wines. I mean, that's the other thing. It's not like uh, when my parents started this business and the wines were kind of all over the place, for the most part, the quality of wine in the industry is pretty high. Um, so I'm real comfortable with that. I think part of the problem has been probably a frustration of ours in the past is, you know, getting, uh, you know, like the wine spectator. When he comes to town, let me tell you, he doesn't come south of yeah. the old hills. Yeah. And, it, and they made it real clear with an issue where they went, here's the end of the wine industry. It's Amity, basically. It's like, really? Okay. So, um, you know, and, and the same thing can be said. Now, I had like a Parker's guy years ago, uh, Jay Miller. He came a couple of times down here. And I've had the guy from, but you, you, you really don't get, you know, I see all these articles um, online like Forbes or different, and they'll go, here's the top seven or 10 wineries to go to Oregon in. And it's like they got off the airport plane, they drove in a circle and came right back to PDX and flew out and it's the same 10 wineries. Every time. Yeah, whatever. And it's just like, oh my God. Not that we need to be in that, but there's so many people doing so many things in the state these days. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's just how it is. I mean, I think most of your wine, uh, you know, you think of like great wine drinking regions, they're all near huge populations, you know? And it doesn't mean necessarily there aren't other things out there, I guess. So on that note, I'm, I'm curious about how you've seen this area grow up, specifically the, the out, outside of the AVAs, I guess, uh, Willamette Valley. How has this area been, has, has it changed? And uh, what are kind of the, what are kind of the, I guess, some of the milestone moments in this area in the past? Um, it's grown very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> it has grown very slowly. <laughs> so slowly. Um, uh, you know, I think Ben Lane being when they first came in, um, uh, that's a big deal. Um, and now they've been purchased. Um, uh, we're not sure what's going on there necessarily with ownership. Um, that could be huge. I mean, it really could be. They have, they have some good plans. They, they have a great site. They, they, have, a, they have beautiful property over. around them. There's a lot there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other than that, the reality is this, this area we're in, I mean, there's a lot of great property. It's just, you know, I think people, when they come up here or they're new to the industry, they want to get into the industry, they go to North Valley, which I don't blame them because that's where the industry really is. Um, but around in this area, there's amazing vineyard property all over the place. Mm -hmm. But again, kind of like what I'm talking about, you're, you'd have to be willing to forego kind of being in that pocket up there. Um, so there's most of the wineries are very small down here, very underfinanced. Mm -hmm. They're making better, they're, they're making really good wine for the most part. Yeah, there's definitely but, but, better and better wine. But you know, there's a handful of wineries that um, I think had to go toe to toe with anybody up north for the most part down here, um, and uh, but there are a lot of wineries that just you know they're they're struggling to keep the lights on. You know it's it's a it's a hard it's hard it, this business like my dad and I always talk about it. It's hard to get ahead in this business. You know when you don't start out with much, it's it's creeping up all the way to the to just stay up out of it. 
So it's it's a hard business for that. The town, though, itself has changed. It, the town it, is, is going a lot. under a yeah. major change and has been for the last few years, and it will, con it yeah, will continue to. There's no doubt when this brewery opened, that was a big deal. That's a $3 million facility down the street. Yeah. Um, those people own Whole Oaks Lumber. They have a lot of money. Uh, they also own a winery. It's a micro winery, but they're they're planning to shoot a bunch of money into that winery. Mm -hmm. um, so they're they're trying to they're on their own are trying to single handedly really change this town. Well, and there's been a, a planning committee, and they there's going to be zoning changes. We already know some people that bought a really big commercial building that's going to be changed eventually to you know residential upstairs and downstairs. Um, Retail. There's plans to develop along the river. They're taking out this um, dam, and there's going to be a footbridge and paths on the other side. Um, and with that, they're going to change the infrastructure of the water system here, which is great for the people here. There's been two big developments that have gone in, and they all sold out immediately because it's expensive to live in the city now. And you're, we're right between UVO and OSU. Um, and major hospitals. So we have a lot of people that live here, and one person works here, one person works there. It's an easy commute. So the, the town is changing very, very, all of a sudden. It had no change. Yeah. And then the last three, well, right before the pandemic, and then now the plans, and everything's passed through the city council. You know, they have a very progressive city council, finally people that want to see positive change sustainably, but positive change, and that's hard to get in a small town. But um, So I would say in the next five years, you're gonna see a huge change in, in this end of the valley. And, and frankly, our fruit profile down here is very different than up north, and people would be smart to plant some vineyards. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna really take off. Talking about the, the pandemic, obviously. Tell me about how the past couple of years have gone for you, uh, both business-wise, personally. Uh, how, what are the changes you've had to make? How have you dealt with this, the, the strange harvests of the past couple of years? And uh, how are things looking now kind of on, on, the, on this end of things? Uh, I think the last couple of years have been really hard. Um, I, not just for Broadly Vineyards, but for wine, restaurants. It's, it's, been, it's been really tough. Um, you know, I, for me, like my 19s, I think are really nice, but they need time. So it's not like drink away, you know, right away kind of wines. Um, the 2020s um, with the smoke, um, I made the best wine I could with that. Um, I, we didn't skip the vintage. I uh, can't afford to skip the vintage. Uh, so I just made about uh, only 40% of what we normally make and I didn't press anything out. So there was a, as little skin contact as possible. Um, and it's all sold, it's gone. We're out of 2020s. Thank and, God. and I think the wines, <laughs> yeah, thank God. And the wines are, they're not amazing, they're not great, they're decent drinkable wines. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we did the best we could. Uh, 21s, which we've released already are flying out the door. 21s are so nice. Um, so you know, nice. it's a nice, easy vintage. People yeah. love those kind of vintages. They're kind of big, fruity wines. Um, you know, they have a decent amount of alcohol. And, uh, and they're early matures. Yeah, they're so. right, th right there, yeah. mid-acidic mid wines. So they're just kind of right there to drink. So 
Um, and I think we needed that vintage. If we had another kind of, the only problem with 21s, there's not a lot there's of not, them. Yeah, there's, yeah. Um, so, uh, but you know, it's, I, I think, uh, like everybody, I would assume everybody, I'm saying everybody, at least ourselves, and I'm talking to other people, you know, it's been, it's been tough. So hopefully we're kind of turning a corner and, you know, you have 22s look really nice. So back-to-back -back kind of vintages. And a where, lot of it. And a lot of 22s. 22s. So There was that panic with the frost and the seconds for, I mean, we didn't get frosted really. Yeah. Just our young, young vines we had just planted got a little damaged, but not bad. But a lot of people that I know, they her seconds came on, and then they had more than enough. So it was great, but it was it was yeah. a little scary. Yeah, and, it, was, it was a little scary. Um, you know, because we we look at like what's obviously happening on our own vineyard, but we're looking at the whole state and also a lot of our friends. You know, what's going to happen to them, and um, and collectively, it's important that we all produce good wines for marketing for the whole state. You have one you know, critic that comes in and says, oh, it's a bad year, and then people start going, oh, no, it's a bad year. Then all of a sudden, everyone stays away from Oregon Wines for that vintage, you know. So um, we want everybody to make good wines oh, yeah. no, every I always, year. I always think it's very important that the wines that people think of that are kind of like flagship wineries in this state, you always want them to make as good a wine as possible for the vintage because there's no doubt if their wines aren't good and that's what people see, that affects all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You talked earlier about sort of sort of, the, sort of the changing sales models and focusing on this space and using the space here. So tell me about selling wine uh, mm -hmm. today. What is it like selling wine now? What are some of the things that you've employed that work? Mm -hmm. And what are the biggest challenges you run into? So luckily for us, we started um, Focusing on distribution very early on. That was something your dad was really focused on. I think really that has to do with being in the book distribution yeah. business. Yeah. And so that was, again, when their primary job was that, they had to, they didn't have time to, didn't have time to be to open and they didn't have yeah. time to, to deal with the public, direct to consumers. So everything just flew out the door with distribution. Yeah. So over time, um, I'm sure you've heard the story a million times, but small wineries, we have small distributors keep getting bought by bigger distributors, and then they get rid of your small wineries. You know, we were in the New York market for over 30 years, and during the pandemic, they cut every single winery that made less than 5,000 cases, even though our wines were selling. So, um, so it's really hard to not only get into distribution, but stay in distribution. Um, there's some smaller distributors on every state that are trying, you know, and now after the pandemic, a lot of them died during the pandemic too. We lost some markets because the distribution company didn't make it. Um, so that's another reason why being open is so important. Um, my goal was to try to get the first year, try to get 30% of our sales direct um, because it used to be, what, 90% of our sales were distribution probably-ish, something like that. Um, so I was trying to get, so I was trying to up the numbers. Now we're at, last year we're at almost 50%, which is, would be ideal, you know, to be 50 or more direct because then you're not relying on, on distribution and all of a sudden losing a state. Um, but it's important to be also in other, you know, well, places you want, you in, want to be the, balanced. In, the, in the country, yeah. yeah. And in the world, we're in several different uh, international markets too. So, um, I don't know, and also it's kind of fun to be in the international markets. <laughs> we like that. Then maybe you could go visit them, <laughs> right? So. Um, 
Uh, I don't even remember what the question was now. Kind of just got off on a about, tangent. Just, just talk about <laughs> selling wine. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious as as you are as people are coming here, especially for direct to consumer type sales. What have you found has been successful? How how why what what's causing people to buy your wine? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, a lot of the people that buy wine from us have been buying wine for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think again, because we have different price points. Yeah. Is I think that's important. I think pricing's been huge. Um, I uh, I seem to remember a meeting. Um, must have been about '08. I was at uh, I think I was at Beaufort. I think it's Beaufort with Mike, Dick Shea, and uh, Doug Tunnell. Maybe a couple other people. I don't know why I was there, honestly. <laughs> but we were having some kind of wine tasting. We were there for lunch. I don't know. But uh, and this subject came up about our Willamette Valley, which I think at the time was probably like twelve dollars cheap. It's cheap wine. And you would have, you know, we'd have uh, you know, Stoller in it or Zenith, you know, expensive, relatively expensive fruit. So Again, kind of an overachieving wine for the price point. And they were giving me kind of, I think really Dick Shea maybe was giving me a hard time about why you're making this wine, you're de- devaluing your label. And that was right before the housing crash. Um, but I think it's important to have all these price points. One, if there is an economic strain, those wines always sell. Mm-hmm. And two, to meet younger people. Mm-hmm. I think. Maybe one of the worst things that I see in this industry, and it's not just Oregon, it's, it's everywhere right now, is the price points of wine are getting higher and higher. And for younger people to get into drinking wine, they're making it more difficult. So they're drinking Italian blends or, or something. Or you know. not wine at all. And they're yeah. going to. Or going to beer. Beer, or, cider. Yeah. Seltzer. Brown drinks, whatever you yeah. want to call it. And they're not getting into this this wine, you know, getting into wine. Yeah. And I think it's really important to have an entry-level product. And my dad saw that a long time ago, and, and he's completely spot on. And, um, you know, it's really, it's not that we make that much money on that wine, but it, it you know, it's kind of like this. It's, it's but it's, course. but it definitely brings in new people. And I think one thing at the here is you get younger people, and we talk about it all the time, they might do a flight and they might buy one bottle. They might not buy any bottles, but maybe the next time they go out to dinner and they see your name on the wine list, they buy a glass of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's important. I, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, I think you can have wines that are super expensive. That's totally fine. And there are plenty of those. And you know, our high-end wines these days are what? 60 bucks or something like that? Yeah, anywhere from to me, that's a, To me, that's a lot of money. I don't, buy, I don't buy a lot of $60 wine. And sure, shit, if I buy a $60 wine, it's not good. Guess what? I don't buy it again. And I won't buy any of them yes. ever again. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I, I just, to me, I, I feel like to keep, to keep this going, you need always younger people. You know? Well, and I think it's also important to stay approachable. You know, like you. Yeah, it's kind of off-putting when you go to a winery. It's like every wine is $150. Yeah. Da, da, da. Or your flight is $40. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, most people, that's, you know, to go on a date and each person has to spend that kind of money on a flight, you're not going to spend money on wine, too. But if you make it approachable, you know, and um, 
Well, or you're, you've already spent 80 bucks and you haven't bought anything. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, yeah, I think this industry would really hurt themselves by, by being more and more closed off. You know, and if we have more of a commercial feel, that that's not a good thing. Um, I think the one thing that was so romantic about Oregon and still is, is that you can go to a lot of wineries and meet the proprietor or, or at least feel like you're part of something that is small and intimate and unique and, um, and special, you know. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we try to personalize because we are family owned. Not everybody has that story, but we try to personalize as much as we can, you know, with our Morgan's Punch Down Club. That is the Willamette Valley, three bubbles a month. You know, it's an affordable club that anybody can do. And, and it's not just young people. We have all, all ages of people. Oh, yeah. That, no, I'm just that saying that's kind of, of that what I see. I... Yeah. And, and it's there. We call it the Tuesday wine. It's the everyday wine. You know, it's an easy drinking everyday wine. And, and it goes well. But then you drink that, and then you're like, ooh, maybe I'll have a Claudia's choice. What's that like? And of course, it's awesome, you know? <laughs> so, you, you know, it's easy to upsell when you. Yeah, when no, you I, I do that. think Jessica's completely right. Oregon, what makes Oregon so great is you can still go to most wineries and talk to either one, the winemaker, or the owner at, at a lot of wineries these days. And that's yeah. great. That's what makes it unique. Yeah, or at least still have that feel. Yeah, we were down in Sonoma a couple of years wine tasting. And uh, we went to the winery, won't say who. And it was like a couple models were pouring wines, beautiful people. And uh, you know, like what's wrong? What's wrong with us? More 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 beautiful than us. I know that's hard to believe. I know that's hard to believe. Um, Anyways, uh, you know, and it it was like they were like car salesmen. He's like, uh, you know, he's like wheeling and dealing us on uh, the tasting fee if we spent this much, and that. And I was just like, this is this is just ridiculous. It didn't feel like wine. I just felt slimed when I I didn't buy buy anything for sure. Yeah. But uh, you know, that feel. I, I don't, I, and, and there is no doubt that comes also with success. So there's that fine line, and I already see it in Oregon where you go to wineries and they're successful. And let me tell you, the owners of winemaker, they're not there because they're successful. And that, that is a sign of success. Yeah. But I think it's a real kind of wobbly line you're kind of, you know, I, I could, I hope that we are successful enough that I'm not here all the time, but maybe it's the kind of thing where we come in occasionally and you poke in and you socialize with people, you know, but maybe yeah, we're not, maybe crazy. we're not hanging out here all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've talked a bit about this already, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, in kind of, a, from kind of a macro perspective, changes you've seen in Oregon, uh, Oregon wine industry, since you've been sort of a, par- a part of it or aware of it, yeah. obviously a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest changes and what are the things that are, that still are kind of the same to you? How, how does Oregon, how does it still feel like it used to to you? Um, well, again, I think, you know, um, there's a lot of the wineries like us still, and they're very successful and they make really good wine. And some of these people are our friends, and, uh, and they're kind of in the same little boat we are, frankly. Um, and uh, so I think that is something that is constant. Um, and obviously, you have really within about, what, the last seven years, um, people from out of state, people from out of the country coming into Oregon and buying existing wineries. Um, you know, that's all new, obviously. Um, and, and, I, and I'm not opposed to that at all. I mean, to me, um, first of all, I think it 
puts Oregon, it gives Oregon some legitimacy. Legitimacy? Legitimacy. Legitimacy, that word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it puts it, you know, internationally. You know, when Bollinger comes in and buys a winery, that's a big deal. Yeah. And buys not just a winery, buys Ponzi, for God's sakes, or what's happened at Beaufort. So, you know, those, those, are, those are, I think, good for the industry. Um, so, you know, and I get it. The reality is, you know, there's all these people, oh, you should never sell, it's, you know, but you're not in their shoes and you don't know what they're thinking and, and they've been doing it for a long time or not doing it for a long time. You don't know where it is. So it's easy, I think, to kind of, you know, be a Monday morning quarterback and kind of go, hey, you know, I wouldn't do that. It's like, come on, yeah, really? You don't, you don't know. know that. You know, yeah. you don't know. You work hard. It's like any, I mean, like anybody, you know, at some point you want to retire and have something well, to leave to your children, and there's nothing wrong with that. And things, things aren't, you know, it's, I mean, things aren't necessarily forever yeah. in any business. Um, so kind of to have this idea that, uh, you know, I make wine or I make beer and I'm never gonna sell to the, the be a sellout to the, the big corporation. I don't know. You just never know. You know and I'm not saying we're gonna do that, no. but. We have you no offers right now. But, but you, yeah. <laughs> if you have a debit card in your wallet, we do take that. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, you, you, I, th I think that's the one thing that's changing in this industry. And that's going to continue. Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, I look at Oregon. Um, Oregon's got a lot of water. Uh, you can plant grapes up here, not worry about certain things that you have to worry in other areas. If you're from France, you can come here and you can do whatever the heck you want without it, the government kind of going, uh, what are you doing, what are you doing? So there's a lot of freedom here and it's relatively inexpensive. I mean, it feels like it's expensive here to you and I, but to people from other areas in the world, it's cheap. Yeah. So I, I see that as, this is just the beginning, yeah. frankly. What else do you see as you look ahead for Oregon wide? What, what else is coming? Uh, well, I don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not sure. Well, um, climate change is going to be yeah. changing uh, what people are going to be planting, where they're going to be planting, um, hopefully not irrigating um, if they can help it. Um, there's there's going to be some changes in how certain people farm. We dry farm, so that's not a thing for us, but um, yeah, it's, you know, the southern facing vineyard may not be always, we're northeast and we have a small portion that's southern, but um, that might be more and more common. Yeah, yeah, I think you're just gonna see more things. You're gonna see things like, you know, maybe things like Grenache or Grenache Blanc, things like that. Things that you might see in other areas will creep into the lab. I think they already are creeping yeah, into the Yeah, I think, um, and one thing but. that we've done with our lineup too is try to diversify. So we've got away from buying fruit um, from vineyards that have wineries. It's something that, um, you know, as what, there's so many wineries, it's like, why are we competing with ourselves? So um, we also have started buying other varieties. We did, we did a Pinot Gris, a skin contact Pinot Gris. Um, that's hugely popular. People love that, especially in the summer, it's delicious. Um, a Gamay Noir, you know, that's kind of the new hot grape right now, but it's, it's really, really, really fun to make and drink. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're just trying to expand, and of course we're doing more Chardonnay, and I think you're finally happy with your Chardonnay now, so, um, so we'll continue down that road, but um, something other than just Pinot Noir in our lineup. That was, I think, something that we never really got to expand on before, and it, was, it could be problematic if we were doing like a winemaker's dinner, or you know, it's like, well, we have Pinot and Pinot and Pinot. 
but um, now you know having a little bit more variety. And if there's other varieties to work with, I mean, you might be. I mean, you've done some uh, uh, Rhone blends. Yeah. You bought fruit from the Umqua, and mm -hmm. yeah. So that kind of answers my next question, which is maybe about for your future here for Broadly. So anything else on the horizon for Broadly? Is anything you're looking forward to or milestones you're looking for or projects on the horizon? Um, honestly, uh, as of now, I mean, we have some newly planted Chardonnay and Gamay Noir on our property. Um, but no. Really. Trying, to, trying not to spend any money yes. right now. <laughs> We're trying yeah. to recoup. This is the dangerous part of this industry, and I'm going to just speak from us, but in the wintertime, as, as you're sitting around or you drink all these different wines, you're like, yeah, I can make that. I can make that. Yeah. Or, you know, it'd be cool. Let's get one of those things. Or, you know, yeah. I have to rain them in a that is how yeah. <laughs> That is how bad decisions necessarily, and, and maybe you spend a lot of money yeah. you know, in the process. So... No, to answer your question. Yeah. After, <laughs> yes. well, I was, I'm hoping to say after the pandemic. I yeah. think we're after we're the starting, pandemic. Well, we're, and I think uh, I think we're good. We're trying honestly. to yeah, we're trying to just yeah, yeah. build back up a bit and and breathe a little easier. The last three years have been hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, if someone were to ask you for advice or words of wisdom on getting into the Oregon wine industry, what would you tell them? I would say, and, and this is kind of really contradictory after what I said about living on a vineyard, but I would say, buy fruit, don't plant a vineyard. <laughs> it's just so much more work. But, um, gosh, I don't know. Put your winery in a location that people drive by it. <laughs> um, so they don't have to go up in the boy, woods. I don't, I don't know what I would tell somebody. Um, uh, I would say don't outprice your market. You can always go up, but you can't go down. A lot of times I've seen new labels come on the market at really high, and then they wonder why people aren't buying. Because a lot of people aren't going to spend money on something they don't understand or know. So I would, that would be my advice to at least the, um, on the operations side. I don't know about oh, I, I'm trying to think what I tell somebody. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do no, it's not that at all. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a different industry than when my dad started. Yeah. Where you didn't need any money. And everything was just so much simpler. Packaging, you know, it's just like, it was such an easier business. And now, you know, it takes so much more money to get into this business. And, and I think my dad and mom, frankly, uh, they thought about this romantic buying this property, making some wine, but they didn't think about the selling of the product. No, that's the and, and a lot of people get into this business like, oh, I love making wine. Wine's fun. Oh, now I got to sell it. Um, well, I don't know. I guess I would say have a good strategy for selling your products uh, because your family and friends are all going to buy wine only for so long. Yeah, and they're going to want a discount. And there's a lot. <laughs> and there's a lot of competition out there. And uh, yeah, I would say, you know, your price point is a big deal. Um, there's a lot of great fruit these days. Um, so having your own vineyard is a necessity, like it was when my parents started. Um, though it is nice to be in control, but that's a tremendous amount of money you're tying up. Mm -hmm. But um, you can make still really good wine with not the best equipment. Mm -hmm. But you have to, you know, 
I guess, you know, you have to kind of know what you're getting into first. And, and, and I would say don't be afraid to be slightly different than what everyone else is doing. Also maybe work in other regions before you land here, you know, to, I mean, to compare it before you choose this area. You know, I think that's one thing you, when we, when our kids were, one of our daughters was thinking about getting in the wine industry, we were like, okay, well, you were, you were going to do harvest somewhere else, you know, maybe s several places if, if possible, yeah. just because that's just such a wealth of knowledge to bring in. I mean, just little tiny little tricks. People have been making wine for hundreds of years, and, you know, we haven't been making wine very long in Oregon, so there's a lot to be to, to learn, to know, a lot of knowledge. I mean, what I do really like about the industry these days is there are a lot, there are a lot, I'm going to call it younger, but I don't think they're that much younger than me, but there are a lot of younger people in this industry that are starting their labels, and um, they're not just Pinot. They're, mm -hmm. They've got different outlets, and I would say probably, I mean, part of the reason, you know, Jessica kind of hit on it, which is, sure, for marketing winemaker, but Partly the other reason we make all these other wines these days is to sell different kinds of products. Because, you know, um, you go to a store, there's only so much shelf space. You go to a, uh, you know, you go to a restaurant, there's only so much room on the list, and there's only so much Pinot people can take. So I do, I do think there's a lot of younger people that are coming into this industry that have more avenues than, than people did in the past. And they're using them, and, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, last question, sort of about family. Obviously, uh, two of you have been married and in business together. Obviously, uh, tell me about how that, how you make that work, and about how you sort of brought the, the next generation into the wine game, if, if, if at all. Don't say it. <laughs> she does what she's told. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so not uh, No, actually, I think. Um, it's pretty good because, at least my opinion, <laughs> I kind of do my thing, yeah. and she does her own kind of things. Yeah. And we do kind of cross over. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, we ask for help with each other ideas and. Yeah, but. we we talk to each other about different things and bounce each other off, and and it doesn't mean we necessarily take each other's ideas, no. but but sometimes. And sometimes, if I don't want his opinion, I just do what I want to yeah. do and. And I mean, he just goes, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like. Uh, <laughs> Whether it's talking to Jessica or talking to my mom and dad, I'll kind of go, here's what I'm thinking, and they can tell me those things, and, you know, I'll either take it. I mean, I, I, I value their opinions, for sure. Um, and it's the same thing with talking to Grant Coulter or Jim Prosser and kicking things around with them, and, you know, I kind of like, oh, that makes sense, or, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, no, I think, I think, to show where, like, where we work now at this point in our time and our lives, it used to be we'd come home and not really talk about work, and now we sit at the table and, and talk we about work. Like, we have to like make. We have to stop talking about work. Well, because over is, the years my role has changed. You know, I was primarily a mom, and I had another business. I had other, I had two other businesses, and so, but now I'm back full time here, and so yeah, it's a lot of. A lot of talk about the business, yeah. a lot. And it's all, and for the most part, it's good. And yeah. like I said, we'll talk about different situations and how do you think I should handle that? And, and you know, more often than not, I, I think we 
how I use her ideas. I don't know if she uses my ideas. But, I do. <laughs> but yeah. you know, and the sure. same thing goes with my parents. I'll kind of float things. Well, and, I value your yeah. opinion for sure. Yeah. And when it comes to like the, like what's next, like the scope of what we're trying to do or our brand, you know, then I mean, it's really important that you're a part of those decisions. So I think together, this is ours. Um, and we've made it ours, you know, together. It's not just, it's not, like this room is not just my vision, it's also your vision too. You, I mean, you came, <laughs> up, you came up with the plexiglass, which is really cool, you know. Came you came up, up with, with the idea of, of having the patio, which is amazing. So. I came up with the glass. That's <laughs> yeah, you had some input for sure yes. on that. But, um, and on the tasting menu, like we talk about all those things. Yeah, no, we yeah. do. Yeah, we do. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, some couples obviously can't work together. I hear that all the time, but we've never had a problem with that. Not really. Yeah. I mean, we'll have a disagreement or something like that. But oh, sure. Just like any married couple. Yeah. But yeah. You know, for the most part, yeah, we yeah. get along really well. We get along really well. And then as far as the next generation, you never know. You know, our oldest uh, almost went to Linfield in the wine program. She was so I close. Know. You know, I was, she was so We were there close. taking the tour. I was like, yeah, we took, I'll we sign up. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to take someone who's 50 years old? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and she's worked in every aspect. She's worked on the vineyard with you in the barrel room. She actually is a chemist, and she understands all these tests and has done um, oh, yeah. work in the lab for you. Uh, she's worked in marketing with both of us on the road. Um, she was very close, but she's a biology major, and now her heart is in ecology and marine biology. So who knows? Maybe she'll come back. Yeah, both, both and the other one them. loves wine. Like She loves wine. And she, both of them have worked in the, in, in the tasting room. Uh, you know, they've worked at open house, I and mean, they've been close. They've worked on the farm. We planted our Chardonnay together during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I think it's a little bit like you. When you were younger, it was like what your parents did. It was a job. Yeah. It wasn't their dream, you know? It wasn't their idea. And right now, they're trying to figure out what is their idea. And so, but it's always there. Well, not always. Well, I mean, it's I don't think them we both, I don't think, are it. like project the kind of like, hey, you should do this. No, no. Um, I, you know, whatever they decide. I mean, they got to have their own passion. I, I think, you know, they can see the lifestyle that we lead. It, it's pretty nice business. I mean, we're not getting rich, um, but, you know, we uh, we get to go to nice restaurants. We we get, we, to we get to travel. We're you know we get to all, do all kinds of things. And um, so you know if they're interested, it will be there for them at, to some point. This is I'm not going to like we're not going to leave the door open and wait until I'm like you know decrepit and then they're like yeah we want to get in the business. Yeah, uh, there'll be a window. <laughs> yeah, there will be a window, and that window will shut at some point. <laughs> so you never know. I mean they're both. One is turning 20 in a month, the other's 22. Yeah, and, they're so um, young. Things, so, things change. You never know. You never know. Yeah. I mean, they can see, you know, I think it's like we had a conversation with our daughter last night because she was doing something for, what, she's trying to go to Scripps or something next summer to work. And yeah. she was asking a question about, you know, what, why is she passionate about what, you know, what she wants to do, she's like, I can't really. So think we were that. like, hey, you you lived on the vineyard and you've seen the effects of climate change, right? You know, I think they they take it kind of for granted. Definitely. Where they grew up, 
And now when they've like moved to Portland and they're around people, they're like, oh yeah, I live on a vineyard, my parents own a winery. It's like, whoa. See, yeah. not the experience I have. Yeah, now it's like almost embarrassing. Like <laughs> yes. my younger one, she's like, what you guys do is so bougie. I it's so bougie. So, We're I so feel bougie. so embarrassed yeah. when I tell people. We're so We're bougie. Like, <laughs> you two are so bougie all the it's time. It's like we're, we're so not bougie. Yeah. But yeah, okay. that's bougie. So it's a completely different thing. I remember when uh, Olivia, our oldest, went, had a project in third or fourth grade, oh, yeah. and they were supposed to do this three dimensional plan of their neighborhood. And so I was like, this is great. We can make like toothpicks and do vines and all this stuff. And, and she was. Horrified, horrified that her when she presented her project and there were no houses around and everybody else had streets and street signs and houses and she was like mine's horrible look at this and we're like no this is this is actually really literally cool. like a little house and it was all green yeah it's all green <laughs> so she drew in these vibes the everywhere and, and then you know where our goats are and and, and it was <laughs> she, so bad. she thought it was the worst thing in the world but so now bad. she's like well, actually, it was pretty nice. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was actually a pretty great place to to grow up. And, oh yeah, well, and and yeah. that is probably a big reason why she got interested in climate change so much. Well, so I I'm a crazy recycler too, so I don't know, maybe that's part of it. <laughs> well, that's excellent. Uh, thank you so much. That's all the questions that I have. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here today that you'd like to cover? open mic here at the end for you. Oh, I'm terrible at that. What about you? I was going to ask, did my mom tell you the story about John Thomas coming here? No. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure probably my mom got to talk much in the last interview. We did but, our best. So, <laughs> Jay McDonald, when he had the wine, what was it called? The. Uh, um. It was at the old Pino bank. only. What was it called, though? It was um, the tasting room. It was the, the tasting room in Carlton. In Carlton. Yeah. He bought, it was like five cases of the 94 Claudius Trace. And he was going to come down and pick it up, but he couldn't come down and pick it up. And he's like, I'm going to send John Thomas to come down and pick up the wine, which is pretty weird. And it was like a really crummy, it was just pouring pouring outside and my dad was gone and it, so I must have been like 24 or 25 at the time and uh, John comes in and he's wearing like a big like uh, fedora hat trench coat and he's sopping wet and he's like I'm John Thomas I'm here to pick up this wine and we're looking at him and we're like we don't know who the fuck you are <laughs> <laughs> and so we took his ID and made a Xerox okay. copy of his driver's license and I wish I'd kept it it just said John Thomas it was so awesome and he was so quiet about it and we loaded it up and then we Did left you have a similar story with Lettleson too oh yeah my yeah. mom oh god so this was years this was in about 97 I think she was yeah. here working by herself and we didn't know who Eric Lemelson oh. was. And Eric Lemelson came in this little Honda electric car when nobody had electric cars, or hybrid cars. It say. was a hybrid, yeah. And he came in, and you know, Eric's dress. He's you know, kind of dirty. Mr. Hippie, you know, kind of dirty guy. guy. Not like knowing that he's worth a shit ton of money. And he's like, you know, I love your wines. You know, I think he bought some wine. And he's like, God, I'd really love to see your vineyard. And we don't let anybody up in the vineyard. But my mom felt well, we really. Well, we do now. Yeah, we do we now. Do but, 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 <laughs> but my mom felt really bad for him. It was like, because he was all hot and sweaty. It was like, 
you know what, you can go up to the vineyard. You go up there and she'd give him direction and he went up and looked at the vineyard. Fast forward to like 1999 or 2000, something like that. Jay calls us and goes, you gotta come up and see this new winery. It's called Lemelson. It's crazy. It's so big, I got this big contraption that goes back and forth. It's like a spider that yeah, does all this stuff. Shooting inside. grapes yeah. all over the place, it's insane. And so we're like, cool, let's go up, we'll have dinner. So we meet Jay, we all go over to the place, and we go up and, I don't know, knock on the door or something like that, because I don't think they had their tasting room built. Yeah, and no, uh, the, the door opens, and there's Eric. And my mom's just like, <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she looks at me, she goes, I know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't need to feel sorry for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's ama amazing the stories you get, the people you meet in this industry. Oh. Thank, you, thank you for oh, sharing yeah. some of those. Yes. Again. Really appreciate your time and, uh, and, your, and your hospitality, sharing your space and your stories with us today. We're going to let you off the hook. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.